It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. The Last Factor Podcast. What is up, College Across fans? You're watching the 126th episode of the Lax Factor Podcast. Today, we are going to put out my top 20 for Division One because everybody else is doing it. And mine, similar to the other polls, has uh, the ACC pretty heavy in the top 10. We are going to talk about Owen Murphy hitting the transfer portal. We're going to have an Instagram clip of the week. We're going to have a SoCon champ prediction. I'm going to go through the top 20, and wherever I've kind of focused on a, a, a specific team or conference, we're going to kind of go through and we'll profile those teams, and then I'm going to pick conference winners. So this week we're doing the SoCon and uh, then there's a bunch of other just random news. Sam Handley looking pumped at coming back. Mac O'Keefe had a good little uh, profile done on him in Inside Lacrosse. So a bunch of stuff here. Before I get into the rest of it and we get rolling, um, be sure to like, subscribe, hit the notification bell. If you want to listen to the audio version, go to anchor.fm forward slash laxfactor. That's kind of where this whole thing lives. But you can get this podcast anywhere where they have podcasts, Apple, Spotify, you name it, we're there. And then um, question... Oh, and then as always, if you want to uh, uh, support us beyond that, you can go to laxfactor.com. You can get yourself swag, hoodies, hats, all sorts of other stuff, shorts, cool shorts, T-shirts. I should have grabbed some. Maybe I will in between segments here. Um, so, But to dive right into it here, uh, we U.S. Lacrosse put out their top 20, and then there was like an actual official media preseason poll. Uh, and all of them were, were ACC heavy. All of them had every ACC team in the top 10. So it prompted me to kind of want to do my own top 20 uh, uh, ranking as well. So I'm going to kind of get into this and we'll discuss why I've put certain teams where and uh, why I've changed it. I have my, I think my poll is a little bit more reflective of the current rosters than last year's rosters. I think most preseason polls end up rewarding teams for what they did last year a little bit more because you don't know what they're going to do this following year. And I think I tried to consider that a little bit more than the preseason polls did. So let's get into it. We'll start at the bottom and we'll, uh, we'll go up to the top. We'll go from 20 to, uh, to up to number one. Uh, number 20 for me is Rutgers. I think that Rutgers, they bring back a bunch of guys. Uh, Charlotte Beatties is back. Gallagher's back. Kirst transferred in. Uh, the Kim brothers transferred from Syracuse. And I'm not sure how much that will end up playing uh, and factoring for Rutgers, but it's, it's still uh, in an interesting dynamic because Rutgers went from having a, a solid team last year to adding Connor Kirst, which he's just, he's filthy. Uh, so he adds depth to the midfield, depending on where they play him. The Kim brothers didn't play at Syracuse, but had the COVID season not happened, this would have been their year to start playing and contributing. So I'm wondering if they end up uh, adding depth to that depth to that midfield maybe on the second midfield line, and they, 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 get, they get some runs. But then you got Rawl, Bullet, uh, Messina, Russo, and Cage. You got a bunch of guys back. So Rutgers at 20, that may even be too low for them. A lot of people end up wanting to see Rutgers higher. And I had them at 19th at one point, but I swapped those two teams. And I'll tell you why here, because my 19th team is Johns Hopkins. And simple reason, 
is that Johns Hopkins has Joey Epstein back. I feel like you have – they had a terrible season last year. Hopkins could end up even being better than the 19th. That might end up being too low for the reality. I think that we'll see out of them next year. But they get Joey Epstein back, and that's enough for me. And then you have most of the roster back beyond that. They add in um, – what's his name? Kersan is a goalie. They've always been a little shaky in the goal the last handful of years. So bringing Kersan in uh, to play goalie, that could help solidify them in the cage a little bit. So I like Hopkins. I like Hopkins at 19. Um, and I think that, you know, putting them ahead of Rutgers, despite Rutgers' success last year and Hopkins' lack of it, is simply because Joey Epstein is doesn't matter who Hopkins is playing within the Big Ten outside of, let's say, Maryland. I think Joey Epstein's the best player in the Big Ten besides maybe Jared Bernhardt. And, uh, and I don't think too many people would think that was a hot take. I think that's fairly fair. Fairly fair. Uh, number 18 for me, moving on. And a lot of people are going to think I have this team too low, but hear me out. Penn. Penn a lot of people had Penn uh, like 12, 13, 14. I have them at 18 because Penn, that, that team that's taking the field, they, they didn't play with Handley last year after his ruptured spleen. Um, so that stunk for Hanley. There was a really good piece in Inside Lacrosse that kind of profiled how that went down, how against Maryland, and I think that was their first game of the year, um, Handley got hit awkwardly, I think on a shot, thought he might've busted a rib or something like that. It wasn't too, didn't think it was too serious, came out for a bit. I think he finished the game. Uh, his father was in town. He ended up going out to eat with his father and while out to eat, he took a serious turn for the worse and got to the hospital. And he said he was lucky his dad was there because he may not have gone to the hospital or if had he not decided to go to the hospital, dude had a totally ruptured spleen. It had been ruptured all day, uh, probably since the hit, I presume could have swollen and ruptured after I'm not sure uh, but ended up you know saving his life being smart and getting his butt to the hospital uh, so I think having Hanley back keeps them in the top 20 at one point if, if they didn't have a, a dude like Sam Hanley coming back you might drop them out of the top 20 they lose uh, their face off man they lose they lost everybody to Notre Dame is what I think it pretty much happened and oddly enough I had all my notes ready and I couldn't get them from one device to another because we're, we had a power outage and our Wi-Fi is not back on. We have hardwired internet, but I don't have Wi-Fi on my laptop and my other things. So I'm kind of ripping through the top 20, and I have the notes on that, but I do not have, have the notes specifically on uh, the inside aspects of the teams. But anyway, and I couldn't bring it up. But yeah, Penn, they lose a bunch of dudes to transfer because of the Ivy, and uh, and it just stinks for them. But I think the reality is they're, they're, they're missing three of their best players from last year's teams, and most of these other teams did not lose uh, that many players. The Ivy, it's going to be unique to the Ivy that they've lost guys and didn't get better, where most of these other teams retained the bulk of their rosters from uh, the previous year. So Penn at 18. Uh, Lehigh, number 17. Lehigh had a lot of – Lehigh had youth anyway, and they have guys coming back. So I like Lehigh's chances. They looked really nice at the beginning of last year. I think they ended up getting up to five wins in the early season last year. So I think it's fair there. There, UMass, very similarly, other than the beatdown that UMass took to Army, they get most of their guys back off. Offensively, UMass is as good as anybody. They can fill it up, and and everybody's back. So I like UMass at 16. That could be even too low for them. And I think this is a team that I think I have probably rated higher than other teams, but I think that this is warranted also, is Richmond. And I'm not going to go into the full profile for Richmond now because I am going to talk about Richmond here later in the episode. But Richmond brings back everybody. All across the field, Richmond brings back every player – their record, I think four and three was what they showed um, for their record over their first seven games uh, last year. But their their losses were to Duke, 
Maryland, and let me see here. I can tell you. Uh, Their losses were to Maryland by a goal, Notre Dame 13-5. They got the beatdown put on them by Maryland. But then they came back and they beat, uh, lost to Duke 16-15. So they're all, their losses were to teams that were in the top 10 last year or all teams that would have finished in the top 10 if Notre Dame hadn't eked into it yet because I think Notre Dame may have had a bad loss early in the year. Either way, Richmond is tough. And bringing back everybody pretty much off their roster from last year, I think, is huge. So that's why I have them at 15. Number 14 for me, Ohio State. I think Ohio State, again, offensively, they bring back everybody. Myers, LeClaire, the whole crew, I believe, is back defensively. I like their defense, so I've profiled their defense before. So I like what Ohio State offers across the board. I think they play in a conference that is good enough that their strength to schedule, even if they suffer some losses, won't hurt them too bad. But the benefit of the Big Ten teams is the Big Ten teams, uh, they they front load their their schedule with non-conference games, and then they play all of their conference games after. So I don't know how that's going to shake out this year with the COVID season, but in past years, it's benefited Ohio State. It's benefited all of the Big Ten in terms of early season rankings because they end up ranking a little higher than they deserve because they a lot of, like, you know, the Ohio State's come in undefeated, um, you know, Maryland and, and, and Hopkins always play really tough schedules early, but Ohio State and Michigan and those teams, they always rack up wins early and then doesn't end up panning out completely. But I like Ohio State at 14. I think that's a fair placement for them, and I think they could overachieve and end up higher than that, obviously. Another one I have higher than some, but again, it's because rarely would you have a situation in uh, for Army at 13 is where I have them. Rarely would you have a situation where they have that many guys coming back for, you know, depend with the COVID crap going on. But Marcus Hudgens is back. Uh, Schupler's back. Shuppler. Um, uh, 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 the Attackman. Uh, I'm just drawing a blank on the Attackman. Uh, number 20, uh, uh, Nick Turn. Brendan Nick Turn is back, and he's filthy. So, I mean, Army, I think Army looked really good last year outside of that Marist game that was a blemish. But then they, they put the beat down on UMass. They played really tough in the Dome. I got to see that game in person at the Dome. So I like Army at 13, and I think that's a fair placement for them. And once again, they could end up jumping a spot or maybe you know dropping a couple spots depending. But Army, I think is that's a fair placement considering what their roster is compared to like a pen. I think I think that placement a pen is fair, even though other I think the other rankings may have had them as high as like twelve or something like that. Um so Army at thirteen. Number twelve for me. Loyola. And I think Loyola is just going to be that team that, you know, they even they go from having a, a, a Spencer and tearing it up, making the tournament that following year, a lot of people expected them to fall further off than they did, but they never fell out of the top 20. And I don't think they're going to for a while. I think they've got a good culture there. They play really tough blue collar uh, lacrosse there. Even though you had the whole Scanlon thing where he didn't like the he he didn't he made it sound like it wasn't like a blue collar team, but just the way they scrap, the way they fight, the way they reload, uh, the way guys end up overachieving offensively. Um, so I like the mix that Loyola has in terms of their roster, their toughness. I I I like their coaching staff. I like everything about Loyola. So I have them at twelve. Number eleven. Georgetown. I think that's a little higher than others have them, but the once again, a really good offensive team. The bulk of that team returns. They have the best goalie in the country or one of the best goalies in the country. They have a really solid returning defense. So Georgetown at number 11, I think is fair. I think that the bit, uh, I don't know how that conference is going to shake up and what the, the big East or whatever the hell the conference was and if that got realigned as part of this whole thing or not. But I think that I really like Denver and, and Georgetown out of there. And there's other teams that are coming out of that conference that are tough as well. Villanova, you can't front on them. But 
Villanova's not in my top 20, and Georgetown is because I think that they have everything you need. A goaltender that can stand on his head on any given day, a defense that's proven to be able to stop, you know, stop teams. They play really, they slow down other teams transition. Uh, they, they get up the field in transition and then an offense that, where pretty much everybody is back and they can hang with anyone. I really, the two teams that I really like offensively are Georgetown and UMass and, uh, but Georgetown, I give the edge to because Georgetown has better defense and a better goalkeeper. Uh, 10. Now some people are going to be mad at my 10. This is where I, I, I stick primarily with this, the same top 10 teams as the other the other polls, but I kind of mix them up a little bit, and people are going to be pissed at this, but I have Yale at number 10, and the reason I have Yale at number 10 is, once again, they lost um, their best attackman, one of the best attackmen in the country, to Denver. They lost one of their, lead, you know, one of their leading midfielders, Kotler, to Denver, and then none of these other teams that are ahead of them lost guys or didn't lose as many guys. Uh, as they did. So I think that that hurts Yale. Yeah, you got TD Earl and back, you know, and that's big. And you get a bunch of, you get pretty much everybody else back beyond that, that, that factored heavily, but they lose a couple of polls. Um, you lose your best attackman. You don't get him back uh, in Jackson Morrill. Uh, you lose Kotler, who's another team leader. So you lose two big team leaders. You don't gain enough, I think, to replace that while other teams are not losing anything. So Yale could overachieve. Yale's loaded. Yale has some guys that could, you know, kind of just fill fill the roles and do their jobs and all that crap. But I still think that these other teams that I put ahead of them have gotten that much better. I think some polls may have had Yale as high as nine. Uh, yeah, so I don't have them that bad. I think 10 is fair for them, even with TD coming back. The problem with TD is he's filthy. He's going to win you a bunch of faceoffs, but that's all he's going to do. And I know that's huge, but teams beat Yale despite TD dominating still. So I think that that's going to be the problem is offensively, I don't think you fill the hole from losing You know what could have been maybe not your best midfielder in Kotler, but a really solid midfielder in Kotler and a team leader. And then you lose a Jackson Morrill, who was a Twarton, would have been a Twarton finalist, I think, in 2020 and will be probably a Twarton finalist for Denver in 2021. Uh, then we go number nine. Uh, we mix it up uh, to Notre Dame. Uh, so Notre Dame, the, first, you know, the last, the lowest ranked ACC team on my list. Um, but... That could change because Notre Dame robbed Penn, uh, so they pick up uh, what's his nuts from Penn, the faceoff guy. I always want to say Gallagher, but I forget. And like I said, I don't have internet access right now to even hop on and tell you. So Notre Dame picking up the three Penn transfers and then bringing back everybody uh, that they already had back. It, Notre Dame's got a really solid roster all the way through. They always are a little shaky early, but by the time they get into Big East play, they can hang with anybody, and they're they're always good for beating up on one of the teams in the Big East that are you know that are in the in the same realm as them. So expect them to beat up either Duke, Syracuse, Virginia, or North Carolina, and then I think they'll split the rest. I think the ACC is going to beat on each other. Did I say Big East? I meant ACC. All right, this one I know people aren't going to like my number eight team Penn State and hear me out the reason I have Penn State so low and other polls have them as high as four or five is because I do not see how you can lose Grant Amet now they return a wealth of talent you know you got Mac O'Keefe um is is the possibly the best off ball attackman I've ever seen play when you really watch tape on him he is an absolute wizard in how he plays off ball but you lose the most prolific passer that College Lacrosse has really ever seen in Grant Amat, and I don't know how you replace that. Now, like like I heard in the in the O'Keefe article on in, in Inside Lacrosse, he talks about a bunch of guys that he thinks they're not going to replace Amat, but they're going to step up and they will play tough lacrosse and they will fill holes to keep that offense flowing. 
But I feel like overall, uh, you, I, they have to prove it. They have to be able to prove that it, without the you know second best player in the country, in my opinion, in Amet, what does that do? You know, when you saw uh, Pat, Pat Spencer who I thought even then was the second best player in the country, but he, the year he won the Twarton, I think he owned it. You know, I, I think he owned it over Sowers and his team did better, but I still think Sowers is a better player or was a better player even in that year. Um, you, Loyola loses him and they drop out of the top 10 down into the, you know, into the top 20. And I think that, that uh, Penn state it's fair, you know, and they play, they're, they're, they're going to benefit again. I think maybe from a slightly easier schedule than some, although I think they've beefed that up in the last couple of years uh, early on, but I still think that they've got to prove that they're going to be able to be as formidable on offense because uh, let's face it. They are Sari. Are Sari. Is our Sari Penn state's face off man, Gerard are Sari. Um, I always mix it up here, but let's face it. They, um, outscore a lot of teams is is what they did. So defensively, they're not terrible. They're, they have a solid defensive team. If, if Kanise is back, which I think he is, they have a solid goaltender in him as well. But but they're not the most prolific defensive team, and they're going to play in the Big Ten, so you're going to have some really tough competition there. So I just feel like they've got to prove offensively that they can still hang and outscore teams, uh, and that's kind of why I dropped them a little bit. I just think you lose the number two guy in the country and you don't replace him. It's going to make it tough, especially when your second best player is a total off-ball guy. Now, as I have said, uh, there were a lot of, like, let's say Amat had 80, 90 assists or whatever the heck it was. Only, I think, 30 of them in 2019 went to Mac O'Keefe. So it's not like Amat was feeding O'Keefe because O'Keefe put up, you know, 70, 80 goals and Amat had 80, 90 assists or something like that. The Amat was feeding everybody. Uh, but I still think that has to play, and I think it'll be hard to replace. Um, number seven is Cornell, and I have Cornell uh, Frog Jump Yale uh, for the simple reason that they bring back Teat. So Cornell brings back their best player, to who, someone who would have been probably a Twarton finalist or right on the edge of it, uh, one of the best attackmen in the country, one of the most dynamic players in the country. The dude's got just a, an absolute swag about him, and I dig it, and I dig Cornell. I think overall they were getting better defensively. Last year they had a really hot start and looked, looked excellent, so I like that momentum, and I like that they kept Teat. So I think that's going to help them in the Ivy. And I think Cornell ends up being the best team in the Ivy because they're the team that brought their guys back. Penn and Yale didn't. Uh, Number six for me, North Carolina, Chris Gray and company, I think we'll get it done. Uh, North Carolina's kind of starting to put together a really nice roster all the way through. Uh, offensively with Gray and everybody else on the offensive side of the ball that are all coming back. Uh, You have a lot of veterans, a lot of guys that can sting you a lot of different ways. I don't think they have really any one-dimensional players, like pretty much that whole first midline and that whole first attack line. All of them can go to the rack, can play off ball. I think they're, they're going to end up being a really unselfish bunch. Defensively, Bowen and company, they're filling it in. Uh, what's I forget the goalkeeper offhand here. Um, but they got the young keeper, uh, not Johnson, yeah, whatever the hell the keeper's name is. So I think North Carolina has a really good squad overall. I think they're deserving of the number six. Uh, here's a team I got a little higher than other people in Denver at five. My reason for putting Denver at five, where was where they? Denver was six in the other polls. Um, I put Denver at five because of Jackson Morrill. They pick up Jackson Morrill and Kotler, and you 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 buckle that up with with the returning players that they have, including Jungle Jack Hanna. At the midfield, I think that Denver has a really nice squad. I think Denver may have picked up a pole from somebody in the transfer, but I just feel like, hey, they got pretty much everybody back from last year's team as well. And you add the one of the top five attackmen in the country in Morrill, if not one of the top three attackmen in the country in Morrill. 
how can you not be better? And uh, and I feel I just feel like their ranking reflected last year's roster a little bit more. You put more on that team, I think they're a top five team. My number four is UVA, and honestly, I I, I enjoy watching UVA. I'm a Q's fan, you all know. So I I will someone will accuse me of maybe being a UVA hater, which I am absolutely not. I think that UVA, that's they're probably ranked a little bit too high. The reason I have them here still is because offensively, like the problem is they're losing Aitken, as far as I know, still. So they lose Doc, they lose their best midfielder. Uh uh oh, Schellenberger, he's gonna be playing. And then you got um the kid from well, like I said, I don't have my notes here completely. So uh I, on the fly, it's hard to remember everybody's name after we haven't had lacrosse for so long. But uh the midfielder there that Number 30, no, maybe it wasn't 34. Whoever the kid was that filled in, he ended up being their leading scoring midfielder um, in 2020 in the shortened season. So he is back, but, but you lose Doc Saken. He, the, that, that second mid there, he did his damage with teams still trying to focus and key on Aiken. And Aiken was trying to play for the first time um, without, uh, what's, see, once again, forgetting names here. Aiken was trying to play without 22 there, deuce, deuce from the season before. Uh, who was you know, an All-American, the true two-way mid there that was on the wing that had like 70 ground balls. Um, so I feel like UVA has lost just enough that I feel like they may even drop out of the top five, but I could end up being completely wrong and eating total crap, and UVA could uh, could end up you know shoring it up because obviously they pick up top 10 guys like, like they're candy. Uh, Maryland, Bernhardt's back. So I probably I almost would have had Maryland behind UVA and I would have gone Duke Syracuse UVA but Bernhardt being back boom Maryland is now the number three team on my poll uh, they're they're going to be solid across the board they're my favorite to win the Big Ten uh, I think that they're going to probably uh, make a really good run at trying to get back to uh, the Final Four and play some lacrosse on Memorial Day weekend so Maryland my number three. So that leaves us with two teams, and I think most of you know where I'm going here. Uh, I'm not going to be the homer and do what I really would love to uh, and put Syracuse at number one. I have Syracuse at number two, whole first midline returning, uh, all of the TAC guys returning. Now, this is all – we still have some crap up in the air. There is still that transfer thing with Rafis in the transfer portal, uh, maybe some other guys and their futures in question. We won't know until the end of next week, maybe even a little bit after that, what officially happens there. But – Assuming Syracuse's roster remains what it is right now, uh, because if all of the guys are back, I think all the guys are back. I don't. I think it's like you know either Rafis is leaving and maybe a couple others are, or no one is at all. Um, I think that, or you know, they end up may, maybe you got some dudes sitting out a couple of games or something like that. Uh, I think as long as Syracuse has that roster, they're a fair number two, especially if there's no suspensions or weirdness uh, surrounding uh, whatever is going on in Syracuse right now, which we will not go into deeper. Uh, they're definite number two, in my opinion, if they have everybody there. And then the obvious number one is Duke. Uh, they got the best player in the country in um, Michael Sowers. Uh, they pick up the, the, a really solid goalkeeper defensively. You got, um, um, geez, my brain is just not working. Um, JT Giles Harris back. That the the you already had two really solid midfield lines, and I think the second line was outperforming the first line, but they're all back. You end up having more attackmen now than you even know what to do with it, Duke. So I feel like Duke is a really solid pick for number one, and I, I feel like it's one of those deals where sometimes you look at a team and you're just like, damn, this team is destined, looks destined to win a national title. 
And like last year, I felt like that was kind of that Syracuse team last year. I felt like they were kind of a team that was destined to win a title with what they had going on. But I think Duke is the team here this year. Now that was long. I have no idea how long I was going into that. And I apologize again. My notes for that specifically were bad, Um, but I have better notes here for the other stuff. Um, One thing I wanted to talk about quick, Owen Murphy entering the transfer portal. Now Hopkins had a couple of guys enter the transfer portal. Cole Williams entered the transfer portal. Uh, last year at the end of the year after um, Petro got uh, let go or after they parted ways. So it doesn't mean that Murphy's leaving, but in this case, it looked like it was reported that he had was no longer with the team, which would mean that maybe he is a definite dude getting ready to leave, uh, which hurts him a little bit. You know, you get Epstein back, so that hurts, and then you end up having um, uh, the nasty attackman, the freshman coming in that I think might be getting time, and that may be why you end up seeing Murphy enter the portal is maybe between Williams – um, uh, Epstein and the freshman uh, that's coming in, maybe he wasn't going to get a whole lot of burn or just wanted to get burn and attack specifically. Who knows? But Murphy, eight goals, five assists in 2020 when Epstein was out. That was good enough to be their second leading scorer, but that was a two and four team. Cole Williams was their leading scorer last year. So it hurts him, but they'll be okay still. And it doesn't mean that he's going to leave. He may end up still uh, staying and, and playing that out. So that was that was worthy news, something worthy of talking about. To, something worthy of talking about. Um, and now I am going, what we're going to do here, we got two more segments left. I'm going to quickly do this Instagram clip of the week and I'm going to, you know, just let you watch it. Uh, and then I'll kind of come back and talk about it here. But, uh, what this is, what you're going to about to see here, and actually what you're seeing as I'm talking here is a dude getting ready to light one up from a beautiful camera angle. This is a at Hundo productions, H U N D O productions, uh, hit him up on Instagram at Hundo productions. Beautiful camera angle. Dude, just the defender coming in, putting a stick in at the end, just kind of gets a stick out there. You see it ping the stick. Stick leaves the dude's hand, heads towards the cage. I was hoping it was going to wrap and hit the cage and go right into the right into the goal. It didn't, but it was still a pretty sweet shot. So that is our Instagram clip of the week. And now we get into the SoCon champ prediction. My Southern Conference champion a preseason champion here pick is going to be Richmond. And I think that's, it should be fair. You figure they bring everybody back. Let's go through the dudes. They bring back the, the big cat, Ryan Lanch, Barry uh, senior. I don't think he's a grad student, but he might be a grad student. He may have been a junior last year, 14 goals, 16 assists in 2020. So he was tearing it up in 2020. He went 52 and 20 in 2019. Dude can do everything. So, I mean, you saw he was heavy on the goal scoring side in 2015, just a half a season a game worth of games, and he almost equaled his assist output, being 14 and 16 in 2020. So that's huge. It just shows what kind of dynamic player he is. Find a uh, you know find a need, fill a need kind of guy. Uh, Richie Connell back 19 and three. Uh, he had a, a ridiculous freshman campaign, so he's back to rock his sophomore year, which will still kind of be his freshman year. Mitch Savoka back 13 and six in 2020. Tyler Schultz back, uh, grad student four and nine in 2020. Ryan Dunn is back eight and two in 2020. Tate Gallagher, grad student, he's back four and three in 2020. So they bring back that entire offensive unit from last year, which was really good. And they played well against some really good competition. They bring them all back defensively. Ray Baran, junior defense, uh, 12 caused turnovers, 25 ground balls in 2020, and uh, that, that, that's a big improvement. He did 12, 12 turnovers and 25 GBs in 2020, 
in a half a season, full season 2019, 12 cost turnovers, 32 ground balls. So he almost equaled his output from the season before in the shortened season last year. So that's a big dude to have back on defense. Uh, and then we have Jason Reynolds, junior defender, all-conference defender in 2019, five games, one assist, four cost turnovers in 2020. So he also adds a little bit more uh, – uh, just solidifies that defensive unit a little more. Jason Cap, LSM, uh, freshman attackman, six cost turnovers. He shows a lot of promise. Jack Rustbolt, an excellent goalkeeper, uh, 55.8% in 2019, 55.6% in 2020 through the first seven games. And in those first seven games, he played Maryland, Notre Dame, and Duke. So to have a 55.6% save percentage uh, against those three teams and uh, and have that on your schedule and then know that the rest of your schedule you were getting into conference play, I think you were going to see a solid improvement. and get, He might have even been able to creep up into the area of uh, 60%. And then obviously coming out of there, you end up with uh, Mercer, Air Force, Jacksonville, High Point. Those are all solid teams, and they could end up doing okay. But I think that Richmond in the end is the team that, that wins the SoCon. I think that's fair. And uh, I'm, I'm very curious to see how those, these guys all perform coming back because Richmond, Richmond's been right on the edge of being absolutely filthy more recently. And uh, I think with all these guys back, I think that that just really puts them in a position where they ought – to be able to get themselves into the NCAA tournament. And if they do, nobody wants to play them. No one's going to front on, on Richmond uh, by the time they hit that. So that is it. That is today's episode. What we are going to do moving forward is we're going to do the full show every Sunday morning now instead of on Thursdays. And then we're going to fill in the week as we can with other stuff. The idea being that we'll do a preview show Saturday morning live at, at 10 a.m., 11 a.m., right before all the games start as we get into the season. We're going to do this post you know, Saturday show, which is going to be the big show where we recap all the games on Sunday and then we'll fill in and do other shows throughout. So from now on, no consistent show on Thursday. The consistent weekly show is going to be on Sunday. So make sure you tell everybody, as always, be sure to like, subscribe, hit the notification bell, go to laxfactor.com, get yourself some swag, hats, t-shirts, all that other crap. If you want to listen only, go to anchor.fm forward slash laxfactor or anywhere else that you get podcasts. Thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. And Hoost is out. 